I think the mental game of open-handed is just awesome. I mean, you're talking about courage, faith, embracing fear, having faith in your own uniqueness. I don't know what the future holds for us, but I see great hope in pushing this art form to a place that I probably cannot even imagine. You know, it can turn out as a nice surprise sometimes if you put your left hand on the hi-hat. Now some people, they think that when you say open-handed playing, it means leading with the left side, but it actually means leading with both sides, and that's the magic of it. It's not like everybody who's open-handed playing starts to sound the same. If anything, they all discover new levels of their playing and they all sound differently. This is really where the journey begins. Hi everybody, this is Chris Lesso and welcome to the LTR Podcast. This is about improving your drumming and bulletproofing your mindset. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast and that's so other people can find us. And if you haven't done so already as well, please go to chrislesso.com and sign up for the email list and you'll get all the free content that I'm putting out and hopefully we can connect and that will show where I'm where I'm at and what I'm doing. So welcome to the LTR podcast. That stands for Life Through Rhythm and this is about improving our mindset, improving our drumming. There's so many connections between drumming and life and we've got a great one today. This is on open-handed drumming, one of my favorite subjects and one of the biggest impacts on myself as a person and myself as a drummer. So what is this? What is open-handed drumming? Basically, it means not crossing your hands. Not crossing your hands. Who came up with the idea to cross your hands in the first place? <laughs> I think this goes back to the origins of the instrument and how it evolved from the marching drumming aspect and using traditional grip and that kind of thing. And the drum set is, is really only a little over a century old. So it is still evolving and it is a very young instrument. So I really believe open-handed drumming is really the future of the instrument. And right now, very few people are doing it. And I really want to help push this idea out there and push the art form forward and get as many people doing this as possible. Now when you start doing this right away, you're going to notice two improvements in your overall expression. One is your weaker side will improve. It's guaranteed to improve. And imagine having two right hands on the drum set. What would you come up with? What would, what would your expression how, what new levels would it hit? It's so cool to think of it that way. Now the other benefit of it is our expression goes up, our creativity goes up. The new ideas that we will come up with will be almost limitless. Think of a drummer like Steve Gadd and what he came up with with the groove 50 Ways to Leave Your Level with Paul Simon. So open-handed drumming is really about those two things and a certain mindset that is going to also be used when we're trying to improve our craft. And that mindset is one of courage. So having the courage to be different and be ourselves. Because when you play open-handed, you are going to ironically sound a lot more like you. And it takes a lot of courage to be completely authentic and vulnerable and come up with ideas that are a lot more unique than just being like everybody else and just doing things that have been already done before. The other mindset that this will bring out in you is going into discomfort, going to the path of most resistance. And I think this is so effective in life and in drumming. If you're pushing yourself to be better, and I, I, I love the word kaizen, and that's a Japanese word that means constant and never-ending improvement. So if we're constantly working on our weaknesses and constantly going into discomfort a little bit every day consistently, this can be massive in life and of course in our, our craft of drumming or whatever we do. And one thing that I learned from my mentor Don Famulero, who's, who's going to be on this podcast, this is amazing, 
is the concept of the path of most resistance always leads to the most amount of growth. So in life, if you see my computer, I've actually got my mouse on my left hand side. I try to open doors with my left hand because I'm naturally right handed. So my weaker side is my left hand. If you see me eating sushi, I'm using my left hand and I've got soy sauce running down my face and onto my shirt, but I don't care because I'm working my weaker side. <laughs> and I'm constantly trying to challenge that weaker side because I know that when it comes to expressing myself, I'm going to be all the stronger for it because I've been working on my weaknesses and finding those little chinks in the armor. So my story with open-handed drumming is I played 17 years crossed, just like everybody else, and I had a drum teacher when I was about 15, and he just said, like maybe most of us, this is how it's done, this is always how it's been done, do it this way. And I just didn't have a choice. I just did it the way that he did it. And I played with my right hand, you know, cross, like the way that most people do it. And I found that my stronger hand, my right hand, got better and better. And my weaker hand stayed pretty, pretty weak. And this went on for about 17 years. And I was trying my best to become better and better. And my teacher and mentor, Don Famulero, I saw him at the COSA camp in New York State in about the late 90s and early 2000s and he had been playing 37 years cross-handed and what I saw at that time was he took a hacksaw to his hi-hat and sawed off the rod at the top and sawed off the bar at the bottom so this meant the hi-hat could only go as high as the snare so it basically forces your left hand to play the hi-hat there's no crossing <laughs> That hi-hat can't go up and you can't get your right hand to it. And he also added a hi-hat to his right side. So anything that he played crossed, he just played with his right hand on the right and his left hand on the left. And I saw him pushing himself in front of audiences and in performances that he was doing at that time. And basically he was burning the boats. He was not giving himself any option but to force his weaker side to improve and grow his self-expression and push himself into a place of extreme discomfort and fearlessly doing it, not staying where it's safe, going to where it's uncomfortable. And I saw this and it just, and seeing him with that, with that sawed off hi-hat was just so moving to me and inspired. He wasn't going... 10% or 20% and he was going like a thousand percent into that and this really inspired me to Do this myself and I remember Dom saying to me Chris don't think of yourself six months from now think of yourself six years from now where you'll be Envision your future self who do you want to be and who do you want to become and imagine the possibilities you're walking into the realm of possibility if you stay where it's safe you think six years down the road, you're gonna be basically the same and not much growth. Think of someone like Miles Davis, and he did that time and time again. He'd have a successful formula and a successful band, and he would just almost sabotage himself and start from scratch and go where it was dis, where go into discomfort. And time passes, and look at the amount of growth and the possibilities that he explored. It's just mind-blowing and, and so inspiring. So this was, that was my exposure to open-handed drumming. And that was about 2002. Now it's been about 15 years since then. And about 14, just going on 15 years. And it's just really blown the doors wide open. And I can only imagine if I had played open-handed since I was three or four or five years old when I just started. So that's why now when I teach, I empower my students with playing with both hands. So the mindset of going into courage, being fearless, being authentic, and going into your unique self-expression while working on the weaker side, I empower them with this. And then if they want to cross, they can, because crossing feels a certain way, it's kind of cool. All our heroes like John Bonham and Neil Peart and all those drummers, 
they played cross, so nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything is wrong with cross. But if any teachers are listening to this, I really think empowering your younger students with the open-handed drumming and the open-handed mindset has some amazing ramifications as time passes. And there's a great quote by Henry Adams, and it says, A teacher affects eternity. No one can tell where their influence stops. So as you teach this, even if you play cross yourself, you can really empower your students by example. It's a powerful concept. So let's get into it. Don Famulero, like I said, he's a, he's a crazy New Yorker. I've known him for many years. He's my teacher and mentor. He's known as the global ambassador of drumming. And he was on the cover of Modern Drummer. He has a background studying with so many of the greats of our craft, like Jim Chapin and Joe Morello. He has inspired so many people literally around the globe and continues to do it with boundless energy. I just saw him in Indianapolis at PASIC. He, he travels to many countries every year. He has boundless energy. He is driven to inspire. And what I love about Dom as well is Dom the businessman, Dom the person, and Dom the artist. He works on them all equally. And who, you, who we are as our character improves is also who we are as a drummer. So I'm really inspired by Dom to work on not only my drumming and my craft, but on myself as a person. And he really inspires people around the world to do this as well. So you'll be inspired listening to him today. Klaus Hessler from Germany. I think of Klaus as almost a doctor or a scientist of the drums. He's just one of the most incredible and musical players I've ever seen in my life. I think he's got one foot in history, in knowing so much about the history of rudiments and the history of the drum set. He studied 25 years with Mr. Jim Chapin. That is incredible. Think about that. 25 years with Jim Chapin. But he's also got one foot firmly planted in the future of this instrument. So he also plays open-handed. And I love the way that he is fearlessly standing on the edge of the cliff of the evolution of this instrument and himself as a person. His latest project is his band Flux, and his new book is called Camp Duty Update, and he also has Open-Handed Drumming Volumes 1 and 2, and also a fantastic DVD called Drumming Carols. We're also welcoming Stephane Chamberlain from Quebec City and also New York City. And Stephane is, is fantastic. He's a good friend of mine, fantastic drummer, big inspiration to me. Just to give you an idea of the grit and passion for drumming and learning that Stephane has, he traveled to Dom's studio on Long Island once a month for nine years. Now that is a 12-hour drive one way. That is mind-blowing. If people come to my studio and they complain that the TTC was a little slow, think about a 12-hour drive from Quebec City to Long Island. That is awesome and that is so inspiring to me. And he did that for nine years. That is awesome. Now, Stéphane is an amazing educator, fantastic drummer, and he has infectious enthusiasm for what he does. He's also got some great books out called Pedal Control, Weaker Side, and Drum Set Duets. And that's on Wisdom Media, co-written with Don Famulero. Those are some great books. I use them with a lot of my students. So let's get into it. This is our roundtable with Dom, Stephane, Klaus, and myself on open-handed drumming. Enjoy this and be inspired. Well, first of all, I want to introduce Casual T. That's Casual-T. Casual-T is a student of mine. This is Chris, Klaus, and Stefan, who you, you know who they are. And Casual-T is originally from, uh, from Vienna, I guess, right? From, from Vienna, Austria. And living now in Brooklyn. We've been studying with me a little bit over a year now. And Casual-T is a natural open-handed player. He's a righty by, by just, you know, naturally being a righty, but had been playing open-handed all of his life and then came to me for lessons to understand more about some challenges that he can overcome to even take him to the next level. So it's been kind of interesting now that I meet these wonderful players that are now been playing open-handed since the beginning. 
So what we're experiencing now is the changeover of artists that have made the change, and now we're starting to see people that are just starting that way because it just makes more sense. And for me, it began in my meeting with Billy Cobham back in the early 80s. I actually met, uh, where I, I started touring with him. I met Billy in actually the late 60s, Billy living on Long Island, and Billy was taking lessons with a dear friend of mine, a, a mentor of mine, Al Miller. And Al Miller was just the top rudimental and drum set teacher on Long Island. And Billy had known Al, so we kind of met through Al Miller. So then I end up signing with Tama Drums. Billy was with Tama Drums in the early 80s. They put us together to do some tours. And our first tour the together with Billy was 27 cities in 28 days. So you talk about bap baptism by fire. <laughs> Bring it on. We get in there, we hit it. So now I begin to see Billy close up at his best. And it was Billy that in 1959, who was a natural right-handed drummer as it was, began to realize that this cross stick playing was challenging him. So in 1959, with his teacher at the time, he just made the change to play open-handed, lowered the hi-hat, thought of playing that way. And when his teacher said, Gee, Billy, this is wrong with what you're doing, Billy said, well, okay, then it's wrong, but it feels better. So Billy had the courage to continue with it, going down this path of having everyone else in the industry telling him it was wrong, but Billy still having the drive to say, there's something there. So Billy stayed with it, and he basically developed his left side to be equal to his right. So in that process, it was amazing. I do several tours with Billy in the early 80s. The next one they put me on tour with is Simon Phillips. Simon Phillips, who was, again, a natural writer who plays open-handed, was highly influenced by Billy Cobham in the early days when Simon came from England and saw Billy playing with Mahavishnu. Next thing I know, I'm with Simon, and I see Simon playing open-handed, and Simon's a natural writing. So now here I am on tour. The first tour they put together was 26 cities in 28 days. So it was, again, the intent that if you're traveling together, you're living together, you're setting up together, you're playing together, I would go on and do my thing, Simon and Billy would do their thing, then we play together. So I had the chance of really being able to see this advantage of how they played. And I was at the time still playing cross-handed playing. So it wasn't until I then started reading books about, you know, Einstein. Einstein is this incredible mind that was voted the greatest mind of the 20th century. I didn't know much about Albert Einstein. I start reading books about him. It's in the year 2000. He was voted as the greatest mind in the 20th century. I'm reading books on Einstein, and there was a quote that someone had asked Einstein, a journalist asked Einstein a quote that said, Mr. Einstein, how have you been able to open up your mind to have all these ideas? Because out of the mind of Einstein, the atomic power was created, nuclear power, you know, uh, uh, you know fluorescent lights, x-rays for hospitals. Out of Einstein's thought process of his theory of relativity, came all these other inventions, and people are still inventing things. Einstein's died in, in, in the, the mid-50s. So what's amazing about it is that his mind opened up. So the journalist asked him, Mr. Einstein, how have you been able to open up your mind this way? And Einstein responded by saying, you cannot solve new challenges with old solutions. You cannot solve new challenges with old solutions. Well, I felt that in the music industry, the music was changing. We had all these new challenges with equipment changing and drum sets getting bigger and different and more creative that I was still using this old solution trying to play these new challenges. So on the plane, on a flight to Hamburg, Germany, for Udo Dahmen, who's a phenomenal teacher and professor in Germany, we're going to play the World Drum Festival. And on that flight, I said, you know, I'm changing. I really believe open-handed playing is the solution I need to face these new challenges. So on the flight to Germany, I then commit to myself, I'm going for it. I arrive at the event. We're all setting up with drums. We've got tons of artists there, well-known artists that are there. And we're all setting up. And I asked the drum deck, he said, he said Mr. Familiar, we have all of your drums here. What else do you need? I said, you know, I need a hacksaw. <laughs> a hacksaw is a saw that cuts metal. He said, he said, well, I, I think I can get one. I said, go get me a hacksaw. So he leaves and comes back within 10 minutes with this saw. So he said, what are you going to do with it? 
So I take out a Sharpie from my, my pocket and I mark the rod from my hi-hat and the tube that had to be cut. I take them and I start cutting this hi-hat. I, I lay it across my drum seat and I'm cutting this freaking hi-hat stand, right? So the tech gets nervous and says, he says, Mr. Familaro, he just so you know, that's a new hi-hat stand. And I looked at him and I said, not anymore. And I kept on cutting. <laughs> Cut it down just like what you saw at Cosa. By cutting it down and having it and being able to lower the hi-hat without having that long rod in the way of other symbols that I wanted to put closer, it totally changed my setup by putting my right symbol on my left. Now I have two right symbols right and left and two hi-hats. So even if I play right-handed lead, it's still open-handed. Open-handed just means don't cross. And that's been the process. So then, as I'm going on and, and experiment with this, I think back of my early lessons with Klaus Hessler, and Klaus was doing this 20 years before I was, was even getting into it. Klaus started dabbling into this here and started to see where this could go. So Klaus really became the next person that I felt embraced this open-handed you know, philosophy, which is really what it is, about bringing your weaker side to an equal side, if not more. Now, I was on a performance in Deist, uh, Belgium, with Greg Bissonnette and Simon Phillips. And we're having dinner together, the three of us, myself, Simon, and Greg Bissonnette. And Greg turns to Simon and says, he says, Simon, well, with all your years of playing open-handed, is your left hand equal to your right hand? Because you're a natural righty. And Simon says, no, my left hand is not equal. And, and all of a sudden, in the insanity of that, Greg looks up and says, you mean after all of these years, your left hand is not equal to your right hand? And Simon says, no, my left hand is better. <laughs> and, and Greg basically fell off of his chair. It was hysterical. And that's, that's really kind of what has happened here. You start to see changes in yourself physically that opens up opportunities that leads to players like yourself, Chris, with what you're doing, for sure, with Klaus. And now Stefan, as we finally got Stefan to make the decision to make the move, it was powerful. And with someone like Casual T, who's been doing it all of his life, yeah. just yeah. because he felt like cop him, it just makes more sense. I've seen it in, in my own students, and maybe Casual T has had this uh, challenge as well, is you have to go against the tide, against the convention. I've heard a lot of people saying that it's wrong. You know, even well-meaning parents of students that you know, uh, sometimes young kids just pick up the sticks and they start playing. Uh, I'm going to hit that there. I'm going to hit that there. And their parents go, actually, that's, this is the correct way. And they start playing like that. And, you know, kind, kind of tying their hand behind their back, figuratively speaking. I think that handicaps a lot of people from the a young age in thinking of a correct way. And I really, when I teach, I never like to use that word uh, correct. And since we've talked about Billy Cobham being a pioneer, I have to acknowledge uh, Gary Chester, because just like what you were saying about uh, going against the convention of the time and kind of thinking, well, what can maximize creativity on this, on this amazing instrument? You know, if you look at this book, The New Breed, which everybody, uh, everybody has, and if you haven't, check it out. And there's this page of what Gary called territorial rights. And you can see the the left side and the right side. And he talks about that, how it had an advantage in his expression in doing a lot of studio drumming. He had three hi-hats, two floor toms, and it Absolutely. just, he was one of the pioneers. Yeah, right? And Gary, uh, I knew Gary. Gary was a friend of mine for many, many years. Gary lived not that far from me in, in the, uh, the New York and Westchester area. And interesting with Gary is, Gary was influenced by two people when he wrote that book, Jim Chapin, because of the independence that Jim Chapin's book had showcased in a jazz setting, and he wanted to bring that level of independence into a more of a rock setting, and Billy Cobham. And Gary came to several of the clinics that Billy and I did when we played together on those tours, and we'd get together and sit down and talk about it, and, and uh, Gary really saw the advantage of what this was about and where the future of drumming was going. Wow. And Gary taught many, many great students, the, the, the Dave Weckles and the Joel Rosenblatt's and, and uh, so many other great, great drummers that have great understanding of independence and freedom through Gary's uh, vision, which is great. Klaus, did, and this was the case uh, with you, Klaus? 
you, you say what was the case with me? Yeah, how how you naturally uh, found your way to to playing uh, open handed, even though you you are right handed. Yes, I, I am right handed, but uh, but be, before I, I tell you a little bit about my personal story, how I got to play open handed. Uh, first of all, what what we have to understand is that being right-handed or being left-handed that's not a black and white thing there's many left-handed people who are uh, who have no idea what to do with their right hand and there's left-handed people who are very close to being ambidextrous and the same same applies to right-handed people so there's many different shadings of of, of say individual um, um, skills and and individual physical um, uh, order say when it comes to being right or left-handed that's uh, that's one thing and uh, and also what is important is to understand that being right-handed doesn't say that you're right-footed or being left-handed does not say that you're left-footed which is a very important part of our game since pretty much the uh, your choice of of which foot you play your bass drum with that pretty much dictates the logistics of your drum kit and uh, and that is forgotten many times so I mean that to start with the other thing is that when I started playing drums somewhere around age of four we had a set of drums uh, in the basement of, uh, of my parents house but this set of drums just consisted in the first place only of a bass drum a snare a rag tom and a cymbal there was not anything else so I sat down and started to play without knowing anything. I did not have a teacher. Maybe, thank God, who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing. Yeah? But, of course, I, the, 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 the cymbal was attached to the bass drum, so there was a rod coming out of the bass drum where the cymbal was placed on. So I had no other choice than playing the cymbal with my right hand and playing the snare with my left hand. That was pretty much it, because there was no such thing as a cymbal stand that you could move to different places. It, it was a rod that came out of the bass drum, okay? Uh, so, a couple, couple of months later, uh, my father, who played in the local brass band, he brought back uh, a hi-hat from the drum set off the local brass band. They, they had gotten a new one, and the old stuff was somewhere flying around, and they didn't need it anymore. So he brought that and said... Now, now, son, you you have a hi-hat here. So how about that? And I was I was so happy about this thing, and I started playing open-handed because that thing was standing on the on the left side. So before that, I kind of had learned to play the cymbal with my right hand. Now I was learning to play the hi-hat with my left hand, and it felt very natural to me. It it was never anything like being awkward or ah oh, this is not it. It was just the way it is, and 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 I went with the flow. And it was only much later when I had my first formal lesson at, say, around age of 10, where the teacher would tell me, oh, that's, that's kind of not the, the way how things are done, you know. It should, should be this and not this. So I said, oh, boy, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting into trouble here. But uh, on, on the way home on my, on my bicycle, I was already starting to trying to remember what was that possible, what was the position like. And I went back to my own little drum set. And I and I couldn't remember if he was saying this is the way or or this is. The, I didn't know. And after that, I was also getting a little bit into cross-handed playing, but uh, uh, for sure, I mean, people like Cobham, that that's that's something that you just cannot miss. But uh, but again, the initial spark came uh, came from Dom back in. Um, 93, I, sh I should say, and um, uh, yeah, so, so Dom was saying, boy, why don't you switch back, and there, there's there's so much to discover, that that was basically the line, and uh, and just as I had done with, uh, with Chapin, I just gave it a try, I didn't ask why or when or what, I just, I just did it, it could have been completely wrong, and we would now not sit together, the vision of this podcast is to spend time with some of the absolute best in the world so we can unleash our best selves through drumming and life. And as you know, LTR is life through rhythm, an attitude and a lifestyle where we become 1% better every day, unleashing confidence behind the kit 
and in everything we do. So if you'd like to join a community of drummers that will bring you to a higher version of yourself, get some free resources, and just connect with the community and go deeper on this learning, join me at chrislesso.net slash LTR. chrislesso.net slash LTR. I wanna meet you, I wanna hear about your goals and vision, and how we can get there together. Let's become our best selves through drumming. It was it was one of the best decisions that I ever took. Although I have to say, it was not my decision. It, it, the the fault goes to Dom. So. But but, but, but yeah, but, but actually, it goes back to Chapin because when Klaus had come to me, he was recommended to come to me by Chapin when Klaus had taken some lessons with Jim, and Jim had had said to me, he says, "Boy, I, I I got this phenomenal student in Germany, Klaus Hessler." who really has absorbed Moeller at the highest level quickly. So it was amazing to kind of see how, how great Klaus embraced this technique, which gave him even more freedom with his hands. So when Klaus came to me, I then just kind of brought Klaus into this, this whole Gladstone, Stone, Moeller, you know, uh, lineage of what it was. And Klaus really was one of the first that really kind of captured the entire picture, grabbed it and ran with it at such a high level. And to see the freedom that he had already in his hands, I just kept on saying, my gosh, if he takes that with open-handed, this could lead incredibly well. Because I see cross-handed players as playing, but they have a crutch. You know, a crutch is that stick that you put under your arm when you break a leg and you're walking. And it's kind of like I see these cross-handed players running in the race. They're winning the race, but they're running with a crutch. So my theory is, my gosh, what would happen if they played open-handed and removed the crutch? How much more would they win the race? And that's kind of what I saw with, with Klaus. That's what I also saw with Stepan. Stepan, when he absorbed these techniques, he came to me at a very young age. you know. And when he came to me at a young age, driving 12 hours one way to come to a lesson here on Long Island, staying for a couple of days, and I would hammer him and beat him up for eight hours a day, and then throw him on a bus like a wet rag and send him back up to Quebec City, Canada. And, and when he began to get these techniques and really began to open up his mind coming from Quebec. And in Quebec, there was more like, a, a, a again, a, 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 an older view of what drum education was like. Everybody was kind of using the same old couple books, and they were all playing this way. So when Stefan began to open up with these techniques and see where that's going, that's why I kept pushing him. I said, Steph, I think you've got a really great left hand that could lead you to a place that I still think you have no idea how much more this will open you up until you take the step and the risk and the courage to go down that path. And there will still be people telling you what the heck are you doing? But I really believe it is this wave that we're creating from Cobham and through Simon and through guys like Carter Beaufort and, and uh, Rayford Griffin and these wonderful players that have played this way that have now taken us being the next generation forward into the 21st century, which is making massive change. And Stefan embraced it wonderfully well. The, the question, what if, is such a powerful question. I think that's what really seduced me into, like I said, looking into the future. Like, what if, what is, you know, looking to see the future you 10 years down the road? And what are you capable of and in tapping into you know, all that potential you have because we're really here for such a, a short time. And if everybody is familiar with something called the Fosbury flop, and there was a athlete named Dick Fosbury, and he was, he was a high jumper, and he used to jump over in a, in a certain kind of tech, yeah, exactly, in a certain kind of technique, and he had his own way of doing it, and he was ridiculed and made fun of and just said, what are you doing? Do it the way it's always been done. Do it the way, you know, stick with tradition. This is the way we do it. And he went against the tide, like you said, having the courage to really take a risk and trust his intuition. And now they teach it in schools to grade twos and grade threes, and it's named after him, the Fosbury Flop. I think that's so cool. And I think there's a bit of a correlation there with uh, people trusting their intuition. And Stephane has such an amazing book called The Weaker Side, which I bring all my students through and it's just superb. And that is really what uh, a big part of what Open Handed is all about is, is what if you had, as Dom says, what if you had two right hands? 
I love looking at it like that. So Stephane, could you get into a little bit of what uh, was the turning point for you in, 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 uh, in playing this way? My, uh, my story with open-handed playing, um, I guess the first time, and it's a, a very clear uh, memory for me, I was in the drum shed with Dom, and maybe Dom, you remember that, and I was just playing some of the exercises you, you gave me, you know, the month before, and I was so proud of myself, you know, playing everything, like, well, and Dom said something like, this is huge, great, now let's switch. <laughs> and I was like, what? You really want me to switch and lead with my left hand? I was not sure about that. And part of um, the reason why I wasn't sure, I was playing cross-sticking since I was like three years old. So for a long time, I was <laughs> mastering this, this position right here. So it was scary, really, really scary to change my approach. So thinking of this concept as a change was kind of too scary for me. So I had to kind of change my, my, my belief, you know. I, I guess um, the way I went about open-handed playing was more like it's an addition. It's something that I'm going to add, you know, to my playing. So I started playing leading with the left side and never, never uh, leaving my strength, you know, with my right side. So... That being said, after many years now, it's hard to come back like this, and I did the same thing, guys. I cut my hat, and as you can see right here, I use two hats on my left side. So it's really, really cool to go from left to right and explore all the things that I can't play like, like this, you know? So after a while, I think it was um, like four years ago, um, Klaus played um, at uh, PASIC, the PASIC show, um, and I was impressed, you know, that was, for me, that was also, like, my, my lessons with Dom, of course, uh, it was a very important moment uh, to, you know, the change, but watching and enjoying Klaus's performance was also a very important moment for me uh, because I was actually seeing, you know, in reality, you know, that it, it was possible. And I felt like, oh, my gosh, Don told me, now I'm seeing, seeing it. And before that, I was kind of changing, you know, I was switching between cross and open, and I was, you know, trying, just trying to, to you know, find myself. And um, now it's, uh, it's just the best, uh, the best way for me as well. And the fact that you're not playing the same things, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, copying what you can already do with leading with the right side. It's about creating new things, you know. It's about the new possibilities, you know, the new grooves. And um, there's one chapter in open-handed playing because we did not, mentioned that Klaus wrote uh, yeah. two amazing books with, with Dom. And th th there's a chapter uh, talking about how you can play something leading with the right side and just change your position, but still playing the same patterns, and you create something completely new. So things like that. And I was also uh, studying all the great drummers from you know, uh, years b before uh, before I started playing, like Steve Gadd and, uh, um, of course, Billy Cobham. But when I, uh, I guess the first time I realized that, oh, this is so cool, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. It was Steve Gadd playing a song, open-handed playing. And he was mainly uh, uh, playing cross-sticking, uh, but... For that uh, special song, he was playing open-handed. So if people like that, you know, are using open-handed playing, uh, especially for like cool ideas and to create something different, that's the way to, to go, you know. So uh, thank you very much, Dom, for uh, this, uh, yes. <laughs> this amazing inspiration. And also, Klaus, I mean, you guys are amazing, and the way you are pushing drumming and just, you know, keeping the tradition is something that we all do in a way, but trying to create new things is something that is also, it, it, it takes courage, you know, because it's really hard to do, but uh, you're doing it, and uh, it's inspiring for me. 
Absolutely. And one thing that really inspires me about you, Klaus, is that you have uh, like your latest book on the uh, going back at rudimental drumming, going to the early 1800s, I believe, and, and even probably before that, I think. Uh, Camp Drumming Update is the, is the name, correct? It just came out? Camp, Camp Duty Update, right? Camp Duty Update, I'm sorry. And you have one foot firmly in the past, and you've obviously done huge amounts of homework investigating the amazing history of this instrument, but also one foot looking forward into the future. And I love that balance. I think we need to have that balance of, of sure. standing on the shoulders of giants and understanding the history, but also moving forward. So Stephane, I think you, you nailed it there of having uh, both the balance there. And I imagine when, when 50 Ways came out, uh, that must have confounded every drummer on the planet because there's no YouTube. You know, they're, they're not seeing him uh, play it. This is in the 70s. And they must have all ran to their drum set and <laughs> tried to play it like this. And I said, oh, he's playing it with the left hand on the hi-hat. And Steve is, is still using uh, stuff like that also, yes. also for newer songs. With uh, I, I just saw him uh, play recently with, with his organ trio and before with uh, with James Taylor. And still he plays some of the of the newer songs with uh, with James Taylor still in the open-handed position. Sometimes even match script. So like uh, like on the October Road album, there's a couple of songs where he plays open-handed as well. And and one one sentence from Steve that that is still that still is kind of st stuck in my mind was when he said, you know, it can turn out as a nice surprise sometimes if you put your left hand on the hi-hat. It was, th that's yeah, exactly yeah. the sentence he said. It can turn out as a nice surprise if you put your left hand on the hi-hat. And uh, nice. I mean, what a, what, a, what a statement from a drumming genius like, like, like Steve, who is still, I mean, who, who, I think he would consider himself being a cross-handed player, but to bring out some of the even more creative side of, of his drumming, he he taps the sources of open-handed playing, which uh, which is a great lesson for anybody who is possibly not willing to change completely, but to look into the creative potential that this unique way of playing has. Even if you don't want to make the complete change, if a genius like Gad does it for certain reasons, boy, why why shouldn't anybody do so? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe maybe something I also. Um can add is if you learn to let's say you're working on on your your jazz uh, chops and you're playing the jazz ride with the left hand you're kind of teaching your left side to swing so even if you you, you use your right hand you know your your left hand on the snare is going to swing much more it's the same thing for grooves i mean if you learn to you know keep the hi-hat with the left hand even when you're switching to the right side because for me it's not about just you know some people they think that when you say open-handed playing it means leading with the left side but it actually means leading leading with both sides and that's the magic of it and uh, for example when i play grooves on my uh popcorn snare here i'm still using my right hand to play the hi-hat but I just never cross, and I can I can see people watching me when I play gigs, and they 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 were kind of uh, wondering what's happening. People are looking, and they're like, so. <laughs> and no, we we the fact that we don't cross, uh, it just gives us more options. But we we lose nothing, and that's what I want like people to know. It's not something you yes. lose; it's something you're adding. Well, and look at what's happening. We have five different people from four different countries, five different cities, just on this conversation, discussing a concept, which means now it is a it is a global acceptance that this is a wave of the future of modern drum set playing. Second point is Steve Smith, the great drummer from the band Journey and Vital Information, is a phenomenal player, is playing Match Grip now and his book Pathways of Motion speaks about playing more open-handed playing, where he's putting two right cymbals on his drum set so he can see how his left hand moves like his right hand because he feels if he marries those two positions comfortably together, that will open up opportunities of creativity. And yeah. he's now on the road with Journey performing, experimenting with this here. So here Steve is in his early 60s, still pushing the art form and still opening up doors of creativity, not only in his own playing, but setting the path for now, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people now on this recent tour with Journey 
are now witnessing Steve, and they're looking at Steve saying the same thing, Stephen, that you're saying people are looking at you. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 that's a very good point. But 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 even with uh, but, uh, with Steve, if if you remember, I mean, uh, just like just like Steve Gadd, he had his little uh, say open-handed uh, excursus, so so to speak. Right. With, if, if you remember, don't stop believing. Is it, it Yeah, it made us look differently at at certain things. So they, they didn't know that they were discovering this concept early on but now it's like well I, i've been doing this for a while and i leave i leave tomorrow to fly to arizona for a 10-day camp at billy cobham retreat that has his full band working with many musicians not just drummers but guitar players bass players and keyboard players we've got hundreds of musicians meeting at a university in arizona and we're going to spend 10 days together talking about playing the instrument and also playing music it's now bringing these techniques into music and so I'm going to spend 10 days with Cobham, and it's and I know even though I'm going there and I've known Billy for over 40 years, I still become a student of drumming by just being next to Billy to witness him playing and to see how he utilizes his fingers, his wrists, and his arms in his playing, how he adapts it to get his sound in open-handed playing. So it's not it's not like everybody who's open-handed playing starts to sound the same. If anything, as everyone adventures in open-handed playing. They all discover new levels of their playing, and they all sound differently. This is really where the journey begins. It's just like two fingerprints that are not alike. I think when you play open hand, you actually sound more like yourself instead of sounding, you know, maybe like a carbon copy of some of the, the other drummers. I think more of your personality comes out. And I wanted to bounce an idea off of, uh, off of everybody here is uh, one aspect of this is I love teaching and when I, I used to, I played 17 years cross until about 2002 and, but I was teaching at the time and I, I kind of thought, well, there's maybe no hope for me, but, uh, but if someone's starting out on their first day of playing, I think they could have a big advantage playing open-handed. And then a couple of years later, I made the leap myself, but I started to teach people left hand on the hi-hat but then when they went to the ride symbol they'd play with the right and i started to wonder like man am i am i kind of screwing people up like giving them twice the amount of work because i noticed they would have it they would get it one way and then they would go to the other side and uh oh you know they it, it's a little bit more work at first but what i noticed was very quickly the brain adapts it's almost like maybe driving a car in america on on one side and driving a car in in britain on the other side and i think we underestimate our brain sometimes in uh how we can adapt and and how we can grow and what i started to see was my students they got it super quickly and i think a lot of educators out there sometimes we fall into the trap of when we teach it's like well i learned it this way so i'm gonna pass on everything to you, almost my bad habits and maybe traditions that don't serve your creativity. So I would like to encourage all the educators out there to, even if yourself don't play like this, really give that gift of expression to your students. Is this something that you all see in your, in your teaching? Absolutely, because, yeah. because you, you, you never know, uh, I mean, no matter if, if it's this, the, this, the six-year-old uh, little boy or girl who's who's sitting and, and having lessons with you, or the 60-year-old, uh, and especially if, if if you look at young students, you never know where their way will lead. Is it the next Buddy Rich that we have here, or is it the next whoever? And uh, and where can where can things lead if you show this guy really all the options uh, that are out there in in, in the game? So. Um, I, I think it would not be fair to to hold back uh, and say, ah, you do this, and and at a later point when when we find out that that you are uh, one of the more talented guys, we make you switch to this. I'm I'm not sure if, if that if that's a good choice. It's uh, it's all about understanding your responsibility as a teacher and to give uh, and to give a student the the tools where you can build up and not at a certain place you have to come back and say oh now we have to reduce that because you gotta you gotta switch hands and 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 and, and start telling and, and start going back to uh, 
to to a level where the student does not want to go. So I, I think that that's not the way things work, for sure. Yeah, I'm totally with you. But that's a great line, Klaus. And it's the responsibility to teaching and to education, but it's also the responsibility to the art form. If we're going to commit ourselves to push the art form, which means we have to push ourselves, that takes courage, that takes commitment, and that takes chance and risk. I mean, I was 48 when I made the commitment to make the change to open-handed playing. I had been playing for 37 years, cross-handed and traditional grip. I switched to match grip and open-handed, you know, on that flight to Hamburg. I said, I'm making the change. I'm, 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 I'm going to commit myself. And I said, if I'm true to, as a teacher telling students to push themselves, I must be the example of that. So when I got to that first event and there were 1,500 people at that, at that show in Hamburg, I came out and, I, and Klaus was there. And I came out and I said, listen, I got to tell you guys something. I'm not sure where I'm going, but I'm going to try something. But I'm going to try it in front of you. Wow. And then I told him about the books on Einstein I was reading. I told him about the flight coming over, the cutting of the hi-hat. And here I am right now. And I talked about this way of pushing ourselves to a level of, of if we challenge ourselves and commit ourselves to it, it's like when you, once you cut that hi-hat, it's the story of the, the chicken and the pig of being totally committed once you cut it. The, the, the chicken and the pig, they're on the farm, and the chicken says to the pig, hey, man, you know, the, the, let's make some breakfast together. So the pig says, well, gee, what, what do you want to cook for everybody? So the chicken says, ham and eggs. And the pig says, wait a second, you're involved, but I'm committed. <laughs> That's what it takes. It takes, you got to be committed to, to leap into this with faith that, which is the, the epitome of what the word faith is. I don't know what the answer is, but I believe there's something out there that's going to make this much better and give me more hope in the results of my artistic talent. When that happens, it becomes then that responsibility as an artist to then the responsibility as the educator. That when a student comes in, I might find somebody who might have that. If, if casualty came to me, and I was not playing open-handed, and I said, well, gee, you're playing, you're playing that way. Try playing this way. That might maybe solve some of the challenges you're having. I would be slowing down his learning process and, and putting obstacles where there are no obstacles. Well, that's not what education is about. It's about removing obstacles and opening up pathways of movement that will take us to a place that we have never experienced before. And I think that really is what, what this is about. That's why I said it. Not only is it a style of a drumming technique, but it is a philosophy of experimenting the pathway of where music and our talent can take us. That, to me, is the journey. Absolutely. And it, it has. I also think it has a lot to do with the uh, with the aspect that our instrument is still evolving to to a certain degree. If you look at at violin playing or piano playing. There pretty much is a methodology of how these instruments are taught since 200 or 300 years because these instruments do not change anymore. But that is not true for modern drum set playing as we are pretty much the only lucky guys who can arrange our instrument in the very personal way how we intend it to be. So, and, and, and his has got two Hyatts on his left side. We're changing things around. I got a couple of rides. Klaus's setup is very different, as is as is a casualty setup is different. And Chris, what you're expecting right now is you're already experimenting with different setup because now that your facility is getting even bigger, your creativity is saying, well, now that brings us to what you started before, Chris, which is the what if. Yeah. You know, the Fosbury uh, story is in my book, is in my cycle book, The Cycle of Self-Empowerment. I use that story in there because this guy had the courage to change the way of leaping, the object was to get over the bar. They don't care how you get over the bar, you just gotta get over the bar. So when he changed the technique, the bottom line is everyone said you're wrong until he got over the bar at the highest level. Then everyone said, wow, I wanna learn that. That's what Cobham did. Cobham was the one that said, I'm gonna keep on doing it. When Cobham leaped over the bar of drumming, everyone said, whoa. What, what is this guy doing? It's working. And that's when Simon followed. And now now the world is changing. Here we are in the, the 16th year of the 21st century. And we're starting to see many people make this change. What's exciting is in the next five or 10 years, we're going to start to see a wave of this happening. And 
we will be the leader of the educational part of what this is about. With Klaus's books on open-handed playing, that has opened the door of immense ideas of playing this way. The weaker side, when we put that together, opened up the concept of not only are we trying to strengthen our weaker hand, but now our weaker foot. When you bring your left foot to a higher level, oh my gosh, the you know double bass playing and double pedal playing has gone to a whole nother level, especially with Stefan Klaus and, and Chris, what you're doing now. And Klaus was a single bass drum player. He started putting his techniques to his left foot and holy mackerel, now he's playing rudimental patterns that are as crystal clear with fives and sevens and 13 stroke rolls and flams and flam taps and all these different rudimental patterns as clearly with his feet as he is with his hands. And the freaking box has been opened. Bring it on. <laughs> I love it. And I always, I always like to encourage people to, to at least have some percentage of your playing open handed, even if it's 1%. We see like Steve Gadd, he's got maybe 10 to 15%. Steve Smith has now opened it up to 80 or 90%. When I started, it was like 1%. What I used to do was, I was kind of inspired by Mike Mangini, and I used to just one hour a week, it was Friday night, and I would just put my music on random, and I would just embrace the suck, as the expression goes, and just like all by myself, just play with my left hand lead, and it was doing it like one hour a week. And you know, I noticed I was coming up with new ideas, and my weaker side was getting better and it slowly increased to 100%. But all the people watching this, I think a lot of people might not go to a 100% switch, but at least make it one to 5% to 10% to something of an open-handed plane to bring out your creativity and to work your weaker side. So this is fantastic. So we have to wrap things up guys, but we have uh, a bunch of questions. I'm just gonna choose uh, a really good one here. How long did it take to become comfortable with the style of open-handed filling the, the left-hand lead? That's a, a really common question with this. How long does it take? Well, uh, to be very honest, uh, I, I cannot say because I, I, was, I, I am still pushing the, the uh, things to, to, to the limits. So if, if, if we look at things like, uh, I don't know, and any sort of standard rock, pop, funk, whatever drumming, I would say maybe from 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 93 to maybe let's say 96 I, I, I would say maybe like a good two year range that that was where I could do most of, of what I did before in the cross-handed position again with the with the left hand but I, I I assume it might be less for some people it might be much more for other people it, it pretty much depends on, on your personal say physical skills and, and coordinative uh, talent to, to a certain degree but uh, but that was it at least for me but other than that I'm I'm still pushing things as, as far as I can and I'm I still consider myself a student uh, of, of that issue so uh, and, and I hope I'll always be don't think about comfort. Think about creativity and let creativity enter into you. I mean, I'm still getting comfortable after, after you know, literally many, many years of doing this here. So it's still a, a growing process, but it's more about the creative process. Early on, when I first made the change, I started to feel creative differently at a high level. And I was more excited about the creative process than I was about the comfort zone. So I, I said, and the comfort in time through muscle memory, that'll all get there. So I was too busy enjoying the creative uniqueness of what I was playing that I was worried about how did I feel comfort-wise. So I would say, you know, the focus is step into it and enjoy the journey that you're on more than how long will this take before I get to where I want to be. I'm going to turn 63 next month. I'm still not where I want to be with my drumming after over 51 years of me playing this instrument professionally. So that's part of the process. Yeah, this is a great question. And I think people are looking for 
um, something similar, but, but it will never be the same. Uh, even if my, let's say at some point you get to the place where you can play left and right and it feels comfortable, but it will never really feel the same. And that's great because in, let's say for some uh, studio work, some producers, they, they hear the difference. And uh, I was in the studio one, one time and the producer just asked me to play open-handed because when I was playing th this way, uh, it sounded a, a little bit different, and that was uh, what he was looking for. So I would say, comfortable, do you mean uh, the point where you can play the same thing? Well, I would say about, for me, a year, but uh, like Dom said, I mean, just being... In, in, in the process of growing and exploring the new, new possibilities, you know, that would be for me uh, something that uh, I, w I will do for the rest of my life. It's, it's pretty much as, as, if you, as if you read a good book uh, for the second time. And, if, and of course, you, you always wish you could read a good book just like, again, just as if, as, if, as if it was the first time. And we all know that this is not possible. But, uh, but with open-handed playing, it's a little bit like that, because even if you had your years of experience in the cross-handed position and you now switch to open-handed, you, you kind of reinvent and, and rediscover your instrument with, with, a, with a totally different view to things, because you already know such a lot of, of stuff about the instrument, but now you're looking at it from a different perspective. Which, uh, uh, which makes you just discover new things. Amazing, and that, that question, by the way, was from Shane Wickstead from Ireland. So we were talking about this being a worldwide thing. That is so cool that it really is a global, a global thing happening right now with drumming, it's awesome. From the USA to Vienna to Germany to Canada, it really opens up this, this path of where the future is going with modern drum set playing. But isn't it exciting to feel yourself stretching your limits and going to the edge of your comfort zone and feeling a little bit of fear and frustration there, but knowing that, you know, the doors are just blown wide open. I really fell in love with that. That's how I live my life in everything I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I talk a lot about the aspects in, you know, our lives that affect us as drummers and artists, and they're really one and the same thing. So I think the mental game of open-handed is just awesome. I mean, you're talking about courage, faith, uh, embracing fear, having faith in your own uniqueness and self-expression. I think it's so cool. So there's so many parallels there. This is great. And it's good to use the internet to research. I mean, even guys like Will Kennedy, uh, you know, Garibaldi has done some open-handed playing. There's so many players out there that have played this way. Uh, Kenny Arnold, so, so many guys that have done some things that have, that have dabbled into it. And now with the power of the internet, anybody can go and just type in these names and do some research. And when you research these names and watch some video that performing, don't just watch one video. Watch 20 different videos. So you see a cross playing of different times in their life on how they evolved. The information is out there. You just have to go and work and enjoy it. And please go to chrislesso.com for more on this, klaushessler.com, domfamilero.com. StephaneChamberlain.com. Look at all these books here. Open-Handed Playing, One and Two by Klaus. It's Your Move by Dom Famulero. I love it. The Weaker Side by Stephane and Dom. These are all fantastic books and there's more being made all the time. I want to uh, close things with a great quote that I found. And this is actually an interview that I did with Dom in 2002 at COSA. And this was only a few weeks after Dom made the switch. I'm going to play you just a couple second clip of this. See if you can hear this. If we're going to be honest to our talent and our career, we then, we then should try to pursue the development of our weaker side. I could have never had the feet that I have now had I not focused on my left foot. You know, so now I'm playing things I could have never imagined 10, 15 years ago. So I have to use that same hope that if I put this effort into what I'm doing now, what will happen in five or ten years will be beyond my imagination now. What great will and what a great personal constitution they have to yeah. want to challenge themselves. And they're wonderful players now, so they got past the hurdle. So I say, let's get past the hurdle. So now I've committed to the past 
three or four months ago to make that change. And I think that is the ultimate challenge of where the art form of modern drum set playing should be going in the 21st century. And those who do not make this change will re retain the prehistoric techniques and the prehistoric obstacles with them forever. So now we have the hindsight of it's almost 15 years later and we're going into the next decades of this. It's amazing. Isn't that, what's your, what's your thoughts on hearing that back, Dom, after 15 years? It's, man, I stand by what I said. I mean, it really is a matter of, of understanding that if our journey in life, the essence of life, if I ask someone the deepest question, what is the essence of life? I'd have to answer that by saying, for me, it means to matter, to make a difference. If the time that we have on this planet, we are able to make a difference into one life, then I believe the essence of the value of how we've lived has been successful. Successful for me is not necessarily a financial gauge. Money does not motivate me. Can you make a difference? And in our little drumming world, if we are able to open up an artist by using a certain technique or inspiring someone to push themselves further, this really is the rewards of the value of our lives. So I stand by the fact of saying that someday we're going to look back at this podcast in the future when they look at this and someone will be watching this from their little mobile device that might be on their glasses yeah. and they're watching us talk about this here in the early part of the 21st century and they're discovering the art form as valuable and as exciting as we did when we were younger, stepping into our first idea of playing drum set. Well, now as we push ourselves further, it's an exciting journey to see. I don't know what the future holds for us, but I see great hope in pushing this art form to a place that I probably cannot even imagine. And you guys are the next generation that's gonna make this thing happen. You are the guys that are now in the driver's seat. You're pushing it forward. The harder you push yourself, is the harder you push the art form. The harder you push the art form, the harder you push music. The harder you push music, the harder you push people to a higher level. That really is the journey of what we're doing here. That really is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for inspiring you know, all the drummers around the world with this and for sharing your journey with going open-handed. I think we have just started on this and, and we're gonna see what the next decades bring us in this journey and inspiring others and and having fun with it this is about having fun let's not forget that right thank you so much you did a great job and i could easily see more future topics like this being discussed in the style of what you've done it you've done a great great job thanks for having myself and and t here in uh yeah. in, on the long island version and uh, it's great to see klaus and steph again and uh, and yourself too man this is phenomenal absolutely phenomenal well, that was so much fun to talk to three of my favorite people, my inspirations, and just fantastic artists and human beings, Klaus Hessler, Stephane Chamberlain, Dom Famulero. Thank you so much for being a part of that, sharing your stories and inspiring drummers and people all around the world. This is, this is just amazing. I have so many more great podcasts coming up, so please subscribe to the LTR podcast, go to my website, chrislesso.com, rate the podcast, contact me, let me know what you think. I can't wait to meet you in person, over Skype, over media, I'm on all the social media, so anywhere you can, please connect with me. And these podcasts are about developing our self-expression through rhythm, through drumming, and also improving our character and who we are as human beings, and bulletproofing our mindset and just getting a peak mindset and mental state where we can go through life and become the best versions of ourselves we can be. And boy, do I feel in gratitude and lucky to know so many great people and to be able to do this every day, to be able to drum and to be able to help people and inspire people. It's amazing. So contact me and let me know what you think. I hope to see you for the next podcast. Keep playing with passion, practice every day, become the best version of yourself that you can, inspire and help others, and I will see you very soon for the next podcast. Take care until then.